Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey, as Kath said, I had the opportunity to get along to Life Conference in New Zealand um, this week and it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, it was Such a busy time though, I literally came out of my hotel room straight onto a shuttle bus and spent 12 or 13 hours uh, at the conference venue and then back, sleep, get on the bus, repeat the next day. But um, we had such a great time and learnt so much. But there was one day where Kath and Tony went to a different masterclass than I went to. I I wanted to get along to a specific masterclass that um, would help me with the role that I'm in here in church and Tony and Kath obviously had a specific one that they wanted to go to, but that was in a completely different venue. So uh, it was about a five-minute walk away. So my masterclass finished, and it finished at about 4.30, and we were meant to catch a shuttle bus back to our hotel room to be able to uh, you know, have a couple of hours there before coming back for the night service. So I come out of my masterclass, and I go to where the shuttle bus is supposed to be, and there's no shuttle bus. And so I run back inside and I get to the information desk. My heart's starting to get a little bit faster. And I say to the guy on the information desk, hey, do you know where the shuttle bus is that's taking us to our hotel? And the guy on the information desk said, no, there's no shuttle buses. We've never done shuttle buses. And I said, well, I've been on a shuttle bus every night and every morning. And, you know, so you do do shuttle buses. And he said, no, don't do them. So I rang Kath and I said to Kath, hey, where's this shuttle bus that's meant to be taking me back to the hotel? And Kath said, oh, we just got on it and it's on its way. But I think there's one more. I think there's one more shuttle bus, but it's over at the second venue, which is the the church hall itself, which is about a five-minute walk. So I get out of the main uh, conference centre and, you, you know, as you walk out in New Zealand, you're immediately hit by this cold ice-cold wind, and the rain was pouring. And so I put my hood up, hid my iPad underneath my jacket, and I raced over to this next venue to catch the last bus to be able to get back to my hotel because I'd had probably about two hours sleep in three days, and I really wanted to get back to my hotel to have a rest, to freshen up before the night service. And I raced over there, and just as I got over there, the shuttle bus was driving away. The last shuttle bus i got to tell you, that's a race that I failed. That's a race that I didn't run to win. I was not prepared for that. And this evening's title of the message that I'm going to share is called Run the Race. And I want to talk to us about how we can run the race, but not only just run the race, but run the race to win. See, the Apostle Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy, and it's in uh, chapter 4, verse 6. As for me... My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You see, this was written by Paul towards the end of his life, in around AD 60 or AD 70. And it's about 30 years after the passing of Jesus. So Jesus died on the cross and then there was a period of 30 years where the church had expanded exponentially and uh, Paul was one of the leaders in that movement. 
At that time, it was during the reign of Emperor Nero, and Emperor Nero is remembered as a uh, the crazy emperor. He, he was remembered as the one that burnt down Rome just to be able to redo it to his own liking. And in that time, he, they actually blamed that on the Christians. So it's about this time that there was the first real great persecution of the Christians in the empire. You see, for the first 300 years of, uh, of the life of Christianity, there was great persecution to these guys, to these Christians, to these early followers of Christ. And this was the beginning of the first wave. Up until that time, there had been religious persecution, but this was government-sanctioned and actually carried out by the state. And so we here we have Paul, and Paul's in prison in Rome awaiting his execution. And he's writing to Timothy, who's one of his young guys that he's working with, and, and Paul is the mentor to Timothy. You see, that wasn't a fun time to be in the church. You know, now as a Christian we feel persecuted when someone puts on Facebook something about atheism or you see a meme shared around that's knocking Christianity and you go, oh, that's, that hurts. But we forget that the first 300 years of Christianity, people were actually killed for their faith and not just killed but actually tortured to death. And we still see that today with these parts of the Middle East all the way through to India, China. You know, Christians are still being really persecuted for, our, for their faith. So Paul's an amazing person, and not only did he contribute to the, you know, a large portion of the New Testament, but he himself was persecuted. He received five times, he received 40 lashes from the Jewish leaders. He was beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones. He was locked up in prison. He was shipwrecked three times. His life was in danger everywhere he went. And for a large portion of his time, he'd gone without food, water, and sleep. So the passage of Scripture that we read, we can understand that Paul has well and truly run his race. He has fought the good fight and his life has been poured out as an offering before God. See, this description of a race that Paul paints is a really vivid picture for us and a great analogy for our life. But the Bible is full of people who ran their race who didn't allow circumstances or failure to block them and stop them, but they fought on anyway and achieved great things. And tonight I want to share around three quick and easy points that I believe will help us to run our race well. You see, a race is defined as a continued advance in one direction. And in every race there is a finish line. There's an objective, there's a line to cross. For the runner to finish his race, he has to know where the finish line is. Our first point tonight is that we need to have a focus. We need to know where we're going. We need to know what the finish line is. You see, there's no race that you can win if you don't know where the finish line is. If you don't know what to focus on, if you don't know what direction you go to, that's not called racing, that's just called wandering. <laughs> Looking around, hoping that you may accidentally stumble across the finish line. But I don't hear of that happening too much. You see, if all you're doing is wandering around and you don't have a focus or a goal, then what are we actually achieving? And the same is true for us in our life. We need a focus. We need a finish line that we can aim for, a goal to reach, or all we'll do, all we'll do is wander around and not achieve much. So what is your focus? Every area of our life needs a focus. See, I've got two young daughters and I've had to work hard to make sure that I have a focus and a goal for them in life and a direction I want them to go. Something as simple as when Amelia was a baby, 
She just wouldn't sleep. As babies do. Babies often decide when they come, their job is to torture us. Isn't that right, Ash? You shared about that this morning. So she would sleep when she's not meant to sleep and then she would not sleep when we wanted her to sleep, aka during the night. So we had a lot of problem with this and, and it would take hours just to get Amelia to sleep. And what it would be, and if any of you are parents here, you'll, you'll understand this, is it would be me rocking her uh, crib slowly and then me just sort of getting down low. I'm still rocking. I'd lie down on the floor and I'd rock it. I'd move a little bit and start doing it with my foot, rocking the cot. And then I'd sort of snake and ninja my way out of the room, pull the door shut. And it would go, and then she'd go, this would repeat itself night after night. Definition of torture, put yourself with a new baby. So let's pray for all the new parents this morning. But uh, so this went on for, for like a couple of months. It would take hours to get her to sleep. And it got to a point where Sarah and I said to each other, we just can't do this anymore. I'm literally going crazy through lack of sleep. And so we made the decision to do uh, some controlled crying. And I know that's controversial. It's what worked for us. But it was about leaving Amelia for five minutes to cry and then we'd go back in after five minutes and check in on her. And then after the next time, it would be a 10 minute, 15 minutes and we'd just stretch it out. And that it still took her two hours to get to sleep the first night. But the point is I wasn't in there rocking her and having to act like a ninja. It's so painful having to sit there and listen to your baby cry. It's one of the hardest things for a parent to do is to sit there and listen to your baby cry and you know that you can do something about it if you go in and just pick that baby up and give him a rock and then put them back down. But the thing with that is I mean, we felt we were creating a rod for our own back. So the first night it was just so hard, it was difficult. The second night we did the same thing but instead of two hours it only took her about 45 minutes to get to sleep. And then the third night we put her down and it took her about 10 minutes to get to sleep. You see, if we'd given up on that first night when she was screaming, when she was crying, we would never have been able to get to that third night where she went to sleep in 10 minutes. And now, and from that time on, she's just been a great sleeper. We had to have a focus. We had to have a goal. We had to have a vision for what we wanted for Amelia. You see, as parents, we need to have destination for our children. It's a behaviour that we want to see changed, goals for their education, the type of person we're believing them to be. You see, if your child wants to be a doctor, then they'll need to study whether they like it or not. If your child wants to be an AFL sensation, they're going to have to practice a lot whether they like it or not. And for us, if we want to have our children having a strong faith and a strong relationship with God, then they need to be in church and they need to be in youth on Friday nights every week, even when they don't want to. You see, things will come up along the way that will say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do that. Because it's easy for us to let our feelings dictate where we want to go in life. But if we let our feelings dictate where we want to go, then we'll be dictated by those feelings rather than the focus or the goal that we set up before us. You see, I want Isla to grow to be a strong woman. I want Isla. Isla's my eight-year-old daughter. I want her to be passionate about his church, about God. I want her to be passionate about his church and I want her to be a leader. So I speak this into her life every day. Every night when we pray at night, I pray, God, I, I pray, God, please come and be with her, be close to her, let her 
walk alongside you every day. I pray that she grows to become a mighty woman. I pray that she grows to become a leader, someone that other kids would look up to. When she has a problem, she comes to me with her problems, I use them as teaching moments. We sit down and we say, you know, this person that you're actually hanging out with, it sounds like they're a bit of a drama queen. Is that the type of person that we need to be hanging around with? It's about teaching kids and not just... Patting them on the head and saying, off you go, that's all right, you'll work it out. But taking those moments to teach her. See, church is a priority as well. She's here every Sunday. We're strategic in the choice of schools that we sent her to, the friends that we allow her to hang around, and the influences that she has in her life. But we have to keep going with that. It's good to do it for a week, it's good to do it for a month, but this has to be, you know, we've blessed with our children at least until they're 18. And we need to persist and set the goals and follow through with it. See, I know sometimes life gets in the way. We get distracted. We let things slide. And it can feel like we've fallen on the off, not on, but off the bandwagon, so to speak. You see, using the analogy of a race, even the best runners stumble and fall. But it's not about the fall. It's about our focus. See, even when we stumble or fall, all we need to do is pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and run the race. See, when we look to the Bible, we see many examples of people who are given a clear focus or vision for their life. And Abraham is a great example of that. See, Abraham lived in a place called Ur, which is modern-day Iraq. And Abraham had an encounter with God, and God spoke to him in Genesis chapter 12. He said, Leave your native country your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's a very specific promise and a very big promise as well. You see, Abraham was happy. He was successful. He had lots of possessions. He was a wealthy man. But God called him out of Ur, where he grew up, and called him to this foreign country. He gave, God gave Abraham a dream, and he gave him a destination to go to. So Abraham made that journey from Ur to what is now modern-day Israel. And if you read through that passage of Scripture, keep reading through Genesis 12, you can see that Abraham got distracted along the way many times. And if you read through that passage of Scripture, you see that Abraham made lots of mistakes along the way. But despite this, he was still listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as a champion of the faith. And what is it that makes Abraham a champion of the faith? Was it that he heard from God and that he had this encounter with God? Was it that he was wealthy and had lots of money and lots of possessions? Was it that he made the decision to leave his comfortable lifestyle and embark upon this journey? You see, Abraham is called a champion of the faith because after hearing from God, he just kept on going. He made mistakes. He got distracted, but he stayed focused and he kept putting one foot in front of another. See, mistakes didn't derail him. He didn't give up and sulk. They didn't stop him, but he just stayed focused and kept on going. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 goes on to say, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner 
living in tents. And so did Isaac, and so did Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently, confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham knew his destination, he knew where he was going, and he was called a man of faith, not because he knew where he was going, but because he got there. He kept on putting one foot in front of the other. Even though he fell down in his race, even though he made mistakes, even though he tripped and he fell, he got up, he dusted himself off and he kept on going. He knew where he wanted to go. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, all were given great tasks, all were given big responsibilities, but all made mistakes. All got distracted, but none of them failed. Because you only fail when you give up. And these guys stayed focused and finished their race. Their mistakes didn't de define them. Their mistakes made them. To run the race well, we need to stay focused, but we also need to fight. See, it's one thing to set a focus and to set a goal, but it's another thing to keep going. And that's where the fight comes in. You see, running a marathon, just as we've got the picture back here, we've got a picture of me. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> That's me. I got sunburnt that day. <laughs> see, running a marathon takes incredible grit. The runner goes through immense pain, but they fight through it in order to win the prize. See, when we fight, we make the decision to put how we feel in second place to our focus. We may not feel like getting up early and going to work, but we get up and we go anyway. We may not feel like coming to church, but we get up and we go anyway. If we let our feelings dictate our life and we didn't get up and go to work, we know the outcome would be that we'd probably end up getting fired. We do things despite our feelings and we need to continue to fight our feelings. Anything worth something will require fighting. Culturally, we're a, a she'll be right group of people. That's, that's us as Aussies. You know, we say, ah, she'll be right. It'll work, it'll work itself out. You know, this has happened. Uh, you know, your credit card's maxed out. Nah, it'll work itself out. She'll be right. You know, I've rear-ended someone. Ah, she'll be right. <laughs> it'll work itself out. We're not used to fighting as, a, as Australians. And when we see someone fighting and doing something that they achieve... We often call them tall poppies and we cut them down and we get jealous of what the work that they're doing. But we need to fight. When it comes to our children, we can't have a she'll be right attitude. If your child, like I said, wants to grow up and become an AFL player, it takes hard work, it takes a fight. We can't have a she'll be right attitude if we want our children to have a strong relationship with God. We need to be strong, we need courage, and we need to make sure that they are here every Sunday and every Friday for youth. When it comes to our marriage, we need to fight for our marriage. It takes courage to fight for your marriage. It's countercultural to have a long marriage, but it's worth the fight. Fighting for your finances, it takes a fight to stay focused on your financial goals. It's easy to spend, but the fight is in sticking to the budget. Fight for your faith, getting up every morning and having a quiet time with God. I know exactly how that feels to not fight that, especially in this cold weather when it just seems a little bit too hard to get out of bed in the mornings. But we need to fight. We need to continually fight every single day for our faith. See, once we've made a commitment, that's the easy part. You know, I remember when I, was at, I first started playing footy, 
and you can tell I've got an AFL player's body. When I first started playing footy, I rocked up for training on a Tuesday night and we spent the first 15 minutes just jogging around and you know, kicking the footies around. I thought, oh, this isn't too bad. I love this. And it got to 15 minutes and everyone came in and I thought, great, we're done. Let's get the water bottles. Let's go back into the change rooms. But it just, that was just the beginning. Then the coach said, right, we're going to do a beep test. Oh my goodness, I had to fight through that beep test where you have to run back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Get down and do sit-ups, get down and do push-ups. Man, coaches are bossy people. And it got really hard really quickly. I, yeah, I persisted though. I persisted though. See, the first 15 minutes was really easy and I thought, what a great decision to play footy. I love this. This is really good. But then it got tough. And when the going gets tough, what is it? The tough get going. Luke chapter 9, verse 50, 51, it's talking about Jesus here. When it came close to the time for his ascension, he, Jesus, gathered his courage Stilled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus knew what was ahead of him. Jesus knew what his finish line was. He knew what his destination was. And he gathered his courage. He stilled himself and headed towards Jerusalem. See, knowing his destination, he didn't shrink back, but he kept moving forward. See, no matter what comes up, no matter what the distraction, that's what we need to do as well. We need to follow Christ's example. We need to gather our courage and we need to steal ourselves, and we need to keep moving forward. You see, you are stronger than you think. You are much stronger. There's much more inside of you than you think there is. But you'll never know how much is inside of you until you stretch yourself and until we have to fight. And you won't know how strong your God is until He has to fight for you. You see, you're not alone. God is right there alongside of you, Every single step of the way. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 4 says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Joshua 1 verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 44 verse 5, Though you will, we will push back our adversaries through your name, we will trample down those who rise up against us. John 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I, Jesus, has come to give you life and life in the full. Deuteronomy 3.22, don't be afraid. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Isaiah 40 verse 31, those who wait along the Lord will gain new strength. They will rise up like wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Joshua 23 verse 10. For the Lord your God is He who fights for you as He promised you. A good fighter has people in his corner. And God is with you every single step of the way. You're not fighting alone. You're not in this by yourself. To run the race well, we need to stay focused, we need to fight, and we need to finish. Excuse me while I take a drink. It's good water, Adelaide water. Nothing but the best. We need to finish. We need to finish what you start. 
We've said a couple of times last Sunday and this Sunday, but uh, we had the opportunity to see our youth pastors, Dan and Ashari McGawson, uh, get married <laughs> Saturday week ago. And they got married in this beautiful garden. It was, actually, it was absolutely the perfect place, this perfect garden. But the thing about this perfect garden is that it was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> we parked our cars and we embarked upon this journey up hills, down hills, around bushes, through tracks that looked like only goats use them. We couldn't see around the corners. I almost had Rochelle fall over me because she was trying to get down there in her heels and all the women said amen. And I felt like giving up. I felt like turning around and just going back to the car. I thought someone could FaceTime me the wedding or something like that. But you know what? Life is like that. I kept on going because I knew the destination. I knew what was going to be there. I knew that all my friends were going to be there. I knew that Dan and Ashari were going to have their beautiful wedding there. And most importantly, I knew that there'd be food afterwards. Come on. <laughs> you see, life is a journey. Just like that. It has its ups, it has its downs, it has its twists, it has its turns, but there is a destination. And sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes we reach a stumbling block or a bump in the road. It's at that point that we sometimes just throw our hands in the air and say, obviously God isn't in this because all of a sudden it's getting tough. But it's not. If that's the time that we give up. But failure only comes around when we give up. You haven't failed until you give up. We need to get up and keep moving forward. Imagine if I gave up when I slipped on the walk to Dan and Ashari's wedding. If I just threw my hands up and said, That's it. I'm out. It's too hard. I've had enough. I would have missed the entire beautiful wedding. You see, I did Bible college about uh, 15 years ago now. I almost have to stop and think and count back that far. It's actually getting quite scary. It means I'm getting old. I had a great time in Bible college and I went into it kind of blind. I went in naively and I got to the end of my first term and uh, Greg Johnston, who was my principal at the time, called me into his office and he said, hey, Phil, you know, you're a great part of the Bible college. You're, it's fantastic having you here, but you haven't paid anything. You haven't paid any of your bills. Yeah, I know. It's, it's terrible. And that was tough. He said to me, you either need to pay or you need to go. We can't, you know, we love having you here, but, you know, you need to make a decision. If you really want to be here and God wants you here, then you need to pay for your fees. Is that a fair decision? Is that a fair thing to say? You see, I could have said that was my sign to give up. I could have thrown my hands up. I could have said God hasn't called me to Bible college. But God called me and I knew that God would cover me in that bills. And so I got down on my knees and I was praying and I was crying out to God because I knew that was where I was meant to be. And I said, God, please provide for me. I got really desperate. I said, God, if you don't provide for me, I'm going to have to go back to Sejuna. I don't know what's worse. <laughs> but I knew I had a race to finish. I knew I was called to Bible college. And so I prayed and I saw God. And I remember distinctly as I was driving home from Bible college on my final day of that first term, getting a phone call out of the blue and it was someone just saying, hey, I was just hearing from God and I felt like I wanted to give you a couple of thousand dollars to pay for your Bible fees for the year. I was like, wow, that's awesome. What a miracle. 
That was amazing. God came through. Imagine if I just thrown my hands up and just said, nah, that's obviously a sign from God that I'm not meant to be here. I probably would have ended up back on an oyster farm in Sejuna. I wouldn't have met Sarah and I definitely wouldn't be here with you this morning, this evening. You see, finishing the race takes grit. It takes courage. It takes resolve and a strength of character. We need to keep putting one foot in front of the other. You can do it. If you fall, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep moving. If you make a mistake or you fail, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep moving. You see, sometimes we're an instant, well, I know we are, we're an instant generation. We can't wait longer than five minutes for our online shopping. We've got Instagram, Facebook. Where's the photos from church this morning? They're not up yet. Come on. We've got mobile phones. I need to text and make calls straight away. We're probably looking at our phones now, trying to make sure we don't miss out on anything. We've got 24-7 news. We've got Netflix so that we can watch the latest things straight away. And worst of all, We've got instant coffee. We need our coffee now. Is that right, Mick? You see, with this instant generation that thinks just because something hasn't happened in the first five minutes that we're pushing through, we don't realise that God's timing is not our timing. You see, I heard someone say that God's never late, but He's never early as well. See, anything worth something is worth waiting for. The picture that Paul paints of life as a race is a picture of the ancient Greeks and the races that they used to run. With runners in these huge stadiums and they would run around and there'd be these huge crowds cheering them on. In the same way as we run our life, you not only have your church, your family and your friends cheering you on, but you have a huge crowd in heaven cheering you on every step of the way. If the band could come, that would be great. To run our race well, we need to focus on the prize. We need to fight. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And we need to finish and finish well. You see, the important thing to remember in all of this is that you're never alone. You have the God who created the heavens and the earth. You have the God who threw the stars in the sky. You have the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who made the sun stand still, the Lion of the tribe of Judah on your side, cheering for you, walking with you and fighting alongside you every step of the way. And tonight, I don't know what your battle is. I don't know what you've been fighting. I don't know where your destination is. But I know that as we stand this, this evening, as we stand and we praise and worship God, what we're choosing to do is to put our focus on Him and to say, God, I accept you walking alongside me. God, I need you. I need you to fight this fight with me. I need you to fight this battle with me. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 